Today's scripture is found in 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's on page 991 in your blue Bible. Hear the word of the Lord. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed, a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. The word of Christ, our mediator. Let's, let us pray together. <clears throat> Lord, it is your spirit alone that will open up the word to our understanding, that will teach us of Jesus, thrill our hearts over him and over you, Lord God. Reveal yourself to us and catch us up in your will, Lord. Change our lives. Set us free from sin. For We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm sure you've heard that uh, classic little example of thumbing through the Bible and, you know, just picking a text and, and reading it and taking that as God's will. And you've heard it before where the guy thumbs through and he looks down and it says Judas went and hung himself. And then, you know, he goes and finds another one that says, go thou and do likewise. Uh, <clears throat> so things out of context, obviously, can mean anything. And it's interesting, this passage is quoted quite often uh, from verse 5, actually, that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And many times you hear just that verse. But that verse is part of an argument or a reason for doing something else. And it's part of the reason that we're told to pray for the world. To pray for, as we're going to see, the salvation of the world. To be world Christians. To be people whose heart is taken up with all peoples of the world. And that we're to do that in worship. And it's important for worship because Paul, right here as he's talking to Timothy, having finished the first chapter talking about the heresies and how they must be guarded against, then begins to deal with matters in the church. And he starts off with this matter. First of all, prayer for all people. Striking. It's only to chapter 3 that he gets to elders and qualifications for elders. And later in chapter 2, talks about teaching and the issue of women and the like. First of all, Prayers for all people. So we're going to look at it in that. That's why I have as a a kind of a playful title there, uh, a mediator. How did I put it with dot dot? If there is one mediator, then what? Okay. 
If there is a mediator, then what? Well, that's, that's what Paul sets forth here. Pray. And part of the reason he's going to say pray for the world is there's one God and one mediator. So it's very important to have that context. So first of all, we're going to just look at this command to pray and then the why of prayer. The command to pray and then the why of this prayer. First of all, as we look at this prayer, we see that what kind of prayer. He he mentions these four words, prayers, intercessions, supplications, and thanksgivings. Which don't, they, they interlock and overlap in terms of their meaning. The basic thing here he's saying is that we're to have earnest and constant prayers. It's expressing the fullness and richness of prayer, including thanksgiving for the world, for all peoples. So every kind of prayer, every kind of approach, uh, bring everything you've got to the table, so to speak. So it's not just a simple thing, but a whole life of prayer is being pointed out here. Then, for whom? For all people. For all people. We might even ask, well, why outsiders? In fact, Calvin, 400 years ago plus, was asking. He said, people might say, well, why the outsiders? We should just be focused on ourselves. And he says, that's a perverse outlook. A perverse outlook. It must not be, our prayers must not be restricted to the church. As Fairbairn says, we should cherish, I love this phrase, cherish wide and generous sympathies. That as our hearts are going out to people so that we identify with what's going on in the world. Their happiness is in some way our happiness and their well-being. We identify with it. So that it refers to all groups of people, all kinds of people, all needy sinners without restriction or distinction of race, nationality, social position. So the wide-ranging feature of all of these rich tapestry of prayer, that's what's being said here. And for what end? What are we praying for? Well, isn't it interesting As he gives the why later, he not only says pray for all people. Why? Because God desires for all people to be saved. Because Jesus has given himself as a ransom for all people. So God's desire goes to the whole world. The ransom is made in order that it might be published to the whole world. Therefore, we better be praying for the whole world. That is what we're being called to. Think of the promise to Abraham way back in Genesis 12, where he says, you're going to be a blessing to all the nations. And then following from that, of course, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28 or Luke 24. This gospel will be published to all nations. Or as it's put in Acts 1.8, to the end of the earth. That would mean all peoples. And, and when it says nations, it's using the same word that Paul uses in verse 7, that he's a teacher of the Gentiles. That word is used in both ways to indicate those who aren't Jews or just all the people of the world, all the people groups of the world. And so what's on the heart of God? You see it in John 3.16. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Not just this group or that group, not just you. His love was on this whole world of people. 
as He gave up His Son. And then that Son is announced and offered freely, passionately by God. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, He has made reconciliation and now we are announcing it to every person. Be reconciled to God. And you see, that is the reason we must be praying for all peoples. Because God's heart is for all peoples. So, He envisions then a prayer ministry. In many places in the Scriptures, you hear this in Colossians 4, verse 3. He's, he says, pray that a door will be opened for the gospel. In Ephesians six nineteen, pray that we will proclaim it with boldness. Or in 1 Thessalonians, he's giving thanks for the results of the gospel. You see, there's this constant prayer being offered up for the peoples devoted to this evangelistic mission. So we all have a place to play in this worldwide mission, a critical place of prayer. And it's put right up front. In fact, you're thinking, well, what else do you do in worship? It's the one thing he talks about. Why would he do that? I think one reason is to say, if you're not doing this, are you worshiping the God whose desire is for the world? Are you worshiping Him? Are you really admiring Him and what's on His heart, on your heart? Are you playing games in worship? Are you in your own little world and you and God and the whole world doesn't matter to you? That isn't the God of the Scriptures. He's not the God of Abraham. He's not the the Lord Jesus that said, go to the nations. So there's a kind of examination there, isn't there? We all have to admit We all have to admit, we fall far short. But isn't it good that He's a God of mercy and forgiveness? And He will change us. He will make us into people that long for this, that have the heart of God. Isn't it wonderful that we're His children and by His grace we can bear His image and have the same desires that God has? It's all of mercy. It's all of His salvation. So even as we may feel convicted and think, whoa, where am I in this? To say, oh Lord, thank you that you're even revealing this or you're even convicting us so that you will draw us along. We will experience your forgiveness and, and, and how focused and imploded we are. And Lord, you will release us to a new concern to pray as Paul commands us to here. Well, also, though, not just prayer for all, but there's a particular prayer for kings and those in high positions. Uh, We recall what is told the Israelites when they are going into, uh, when they're going into exile. Jeremiah 29, 7 says, Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf for its wealth and its welfare. You will find your welfare. Jeremiah 29, 7. Or when they're being restored to the land in Ezra, the king says, may they offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. So even in the midst of their offering sacrifices, they're offering prayers for those who are their rulers. But in this context, we'd have to say, It's against the background of this purpose of all people being saved, all people being drawn to Christ. And so it has that end in view. 
Because kings have so much power, leaders of countries have so much influence as to what the nature of the gospel will be or the, how the gospel, gospel will be able to be proclaimed in a particular place. And so we're to pray for those leaders. We're to pray specifically, he says here, so that there will be peace and quiet, a quiet life, so that godliness and dignity can be carried out. This has the idea of a godliness that shows itself to other people. So the kind of life, the kind of social situation in which the the people of God can flourish and have the maximum influence on their society. See, that's the idea, the context here, praying for the well-being of society and the leaders so that we may have a life that manifests godliness. And when the church is broken up and persecuted and split apart, then people are weakened generally. In the midst of persecution, there can be great shows of strength, of course, and honor, but it can also tend to weaken the church because we depend upon fellowship with one another. And so he's praying for the kind of situation in which the church can have a degree of strength and fellowship so that people can be built up in godliness. But whether the the leaders are perverted or not, they're to be the subject of prayer. Prayer must be included that we're praying for their salvation because that's the concern of the whole passage. But even larger than that, that they will rule in a way that promotes the good of God's mission and His people. So we can actually uh, affect history. We can actually affect the very way a country uh, rules by our prayer. And so nations, and, and, and perhaps we've seen Poland and other nations literally have monumental social upheaval and change because of the prayers of God's people. We cannot underestimate the greatness of praying to the King of Kings, of whom it is said in the Proverbs, he is able to, to turn the King's heart any which way he wants, just like a stream of water. I think of the Corps of Engineers, especially when they're dealing with a smaller stream and they actually can route that stream in many different directions, whichever way they choose. And it says he's able to do that with King's heart. He's the King of Kings. And so we pray for leaders, not only our own, but leaders around the world and how they will influence the gospel. Now, why do we do this? Why? And he gives us the reasons first of it's just this very obvious thing it is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior that's a good enough reason isn't it he wants us to it pleases him that we are praying for all peoples it pleases him that we are praying for the leaders and praying for the salvation of this world and those who have authority to help bring about the conditions of the uh, move, moving ahead of God's kingdom This pleases God. So such prayers have his yes from the start. And then there's this phrase, this in the sight of God, our Savior. And then the very next thing, who desires all people to be saved. So he's saying, we're praying to our Savior who desires for all men to be saved. He doesn't allow us to think of our relationship to him and his saving us without immediately thinking If he saved us, he's going to save some other people too. 
If He saved us, He's on the move to save others and to use us to save them as well. That's the feel of the passage. We're not allowed in any way just to think about us and God. He's our Savior, but He desires to save for all people to be saved. So we want to please this one who is our Savior and desires their salvation. If He brought us, He will bring many others. And of course, in the probably Paul is thinking primarily of Jew and Gentile, or that is the Gentiles because of the Jewish heresies that they were facing, probably had a Jewish exclusivism about them. And they were focused merely on them and didn't have a regard for the Gentiles. So especially in Paul's mind is breaking out and making sure the gospel is getting to all the Gentiles everywhere. So the intercession then for all men can only be justified on the ground of God's willingness to save them. And for us as Presbyterians, that may make us a little bit uneasy because we believe in the doctrine of election that God chooses. And yet running right alongside of that, and here you have the electing God manifesting himself in the person of Christ, weeping over Jerusalem. I would have gathered you like a mother hen and her chicks, but you would not. So there's this complexity in God in which the desire stretches forth and even the command for all people, as Paul announces it in, in Acts 11, he's commanding all people everywhere to repent. Is that the will of God? Is that something God wants in some sense? Absolutely. For if it isn't, then they wouldn't be disobedient not to come to Him. But you are disobedient to this God. You're refusing His genuine overtures that you can have Christ. He's offering Him to you. If you refuse Him, you're disobeying Him. So whatever we believe about God not allowing his own ultimately to refuse him, which he will not. And he will draw his own to himself. And for his own, there is a saving love, a love that will not be denied, a love that will renew and draw us to himself. Still, there is a genuine desire and offer to all people that they be saved. And why God allows many to refuse it, I don't know. There's no way to answer that. But his offer is earnest. So he's showing that God has at at his heart the salvation of all men, calling all men to acknowledge his truth. And those words are from John Calvin, okay? (laughs) From John Calvin himself, who many would associate only with the term predestination. But he says he calls all men to acknowledge his truth. And you see, when we read a passage like Psalm 22, it says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. Why? Because kingship belongs to the Lord and He rules over the nations. We have even promises, promises that the families of the earth, as we go and proclaim the gospel, will be gathered by His mercy. This isn't just a possibility, it's a promise from God. Think how different that is than thinking everything's getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and fewer and fewer and fewer people are going to come to know Christ and one day, thankfully, we're going to get zapped out of here and everybody else is left behind. 
I don't know what book I could be referring to. (laughs) When the scriptures give us hope, they give us the greatest hope that we can't imagine what is yet going to happen through the gospel. And we are to pray, pray for all peoples. So our prayer should range widely because His mercy ranges widely. No nation or rank of society is excluded from salvation. He wills to offer the gospel to everyone without exception, with no distinction of race or color or your condition or your status. That doesn't matter. The gospel is offered to you, whatever your condition Every man is worthy to share in this salvation. Not worthy in the sense that you deserve it, but you're a human being and God offers it to every human being. And you see, our own prayers and our own striving to win people to Christ are a sign of the goodwill of God toward those people. Our own prayers are God's moving in us, indicating His desire for them. And then it may seem strange that he says, for why there is one God and there's one mediator. And it may seem odd a little bit, but the point is, there is only one God. We all have the same bond of being made by this God, and therefore we all have the same hope from this God. There are no other gods. There is one God, and there is one mediator, and all people have this same mediator available to them. That's the point of this oneness. It's the same as in Romans 3. He says, is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, he is. Since God is one. See, he's arguing from the oneness of God. There's not a separate kind of relationship of Jew or Gentile. There's one God, one mediator, and it goes to everyone because everyone is a human being made by this God. And Christ has redeemed mankind and offers himself to everyone. So all have access to the salvation of this one and only God and this one and only mediator. Paul says in Romans 10, There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. So the Holy Spirit bids us, urges us to pray for all because our mediator offers Himself to all. The gospel goes to all. And... Even Calvin said, and I'm trying to bring his name. I don't usually mention Calvin that much for you who are visiting, but he's thought of as, uh, as, boy, he for sure will teach right on election. Well, he says his purpose is to reveal himself as a reconciled father to all without distinction. You hear that? To reveal, and that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He's revealing himself to the whole world. He is a reconciled father to anyone who will believe. Won't you have him? Won't you take him? And therefore we pray for all people with no favoritism, without distinction. And the same word for prayer for all people is the word for ransom for all people. And and the word people in verse 1 is the same as the word people there of 
God and people in verse 5. We pray for all people because there's one mediator between God and people, the person Christ Jesus. So he gave, he gave his life a ransom for them. We give our lives in prayer for them. That's the, that's the teaching. He gave himself a ransom and offers himself to the world, and we give ourselves in prayer for the world. And brothers and sisters, as it says later in Timothy verse, chapter 3, verse 15, we are the pillar and buttress of the truth. He mentions the truth here, that they may come to a knowledge of the truth. And he's speaking of the gospel and the content of that gospel, the doctrinal content of the gospel. And we, the church, alone have that gospel. We alone are pro- proclaiming the one God and the one mediator. We're the sole means by which the message may be extended to all. And we're the sole means by which people may be changed and prayers may change the world and draw people to Jesus Christ. And that's why he says, first of all, I urge. It's the same word used for the helper, the paraclete, the, Lord, uh, the Holy Spirit. I urge you that these prayers be offered up. So, this is the testimony, he calls it, God's testimony through the giving of Jesus Christ, he's, that he is indeed concerned for the world. And Paul says, I'm an apostle of that testimony. And now we are apostles. We are messengers of that testimony. And we are praying for that. And so, I just want to urge upon you, that this is an essential aspect of our participation in the Great Commission, an essential aspect of our getting the gospel to the world, prayer that seeks the gospel's penetration into all parts of the world. Isn't that what this means? Praying for all peoples, that the gospel would penetrate to every area in the world and that we would pray for those in government, that this would be furthered through the kinds of legislation decisions that they make by God's grace. Final word to you, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, think of this God of the whole world who has given His Son and offered Him to you so graciously. A ransom means that He has, he has paid. He has paid for your sin. He offers you redemption. It's as though you're in a dungeon and you're headed for judgment and death and He's offering you redemption and you can walk out. Think what it would be to refuse this God. The tragedy for your life because walking out of that dungeon of of no fellowship and relationship to this God is to walk into what you're meant to be, to live in fellowship with this God. And to become a part of the light and this purpose of making known the love of this God to the world. And so I urge you, I urge you. And yet, I have to say, as Jesus himself says in John six forty four, no man can come to him unless he draws you. And you may be sitting there saying, you know, I don't feel it. I don't want to leave the things that I have. I don't want to give up the authority of my life to God. I don't know if I can trust Him. Then at least cry out to Him and say, Lord, draw me. Draw me. Rescue me. 
Do whatever is necessary, Lord, so that I will trust in you and give my life to you. In the face of this God, whose heart is for the world, how tragic it would be for you who are sitting here to refuse that God. Let us pray. Lord, we praise you. We thank you that we can participate in this grand work. We can have on our hearts what is on the heart of our God. We confess to you, Lord, that even as we hear it, many of us can say, have to confess, it kind of leaves me high and dry. My heart's really not in it. I don't feel it. I, I know what you're saying, but it doesn't register. Lord, we confess to you the hardness of our heart. We confess to you that it's, it's hard to get past even the, the things that we're worried about this week. It really is hard to think past the next hour, maybe, the pressures that we're facing and relational difficulties. So many things that just cause us to implode and our hearts really aren't upon a lost world. We confess it to you, Lord. We confess our weakness. We confess that we have anxieties that burden us. We pray that we will so trust you, that we will so give ourselves up to you. And Lord, that our hearts will be so set free that we could somehow soar above these things, somehow give ourselves to what we need to in the day, rest in you for all that we can't control, and Lord, have our hearts bent on that gospel to the very people next door to us, the very people we work with, the people across town, people that are poverty-stricken in this town, the people in America, the people in South America, the people in continent after continent, the people in darkness in India, in Saudi Arabia, and so many nations. Oh, Lord, may our hearts be set free to love what you love. We confess, Lord, that it is difficult for us to love. It is only by your grace that we can. And we thank you that you're going to do that. And you will make us world Christians. Christians whose heart, like God's, have a desire that all men be saved. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.